This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Onelintsinsi, Tracy Boomgaard, as well as Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Sudan's military and the alliance of protesters and opposition groups sign a political accord as part of a power-sharing deal aimed at leading the country's nation to democracy. The world comes together to do uh, to go on a celebration of global icon Nelson Mandela. In economics, relief for South African consumers as the central bank cuts the repo rate and in sport, South African Football Association President Danny Ordan named CAF's third vice president. Hello, Onele. How are you? Good afternoon. Happy Mandela Day. Happy Mandela Day to you. Do Speaking of Mandela Day, uh, it is the 18th of July. This is the day that we are encouraged to go out there and do our part for the less fortunate. 67 minutes. What did you do for your 67 minutes? I report news for seven minutes. Well, I was at work. I'm at work, so I wasn't able really to do What anything. time did you get to work? At 10. You could have done something at 8. I've got two children and a five-month-old somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was out with the uh, SABC TV uh, networks and uh, both, S- well, all three networks. SBC 1, 2 and 3 and we went out to Atridgeville north of Pretoria to a special needs school called Zodwa as well as Mohau uh, Center for Hope and uh, you know we were, we were doing the garden we were painting we are doing all of those things so I feel great uh, and I'm going to make you feel so bad about not doing anything for Mandela Day however the day is not done yet you still have enough time to go Thank out there you. and do your 67 minutes I shall ask you tomorrow what you got up to all right, 17.02 Central African time. It's time for us to cross on over to the news desk where that person that did nothing for Mandela Day, Odilinsins, is standing by to give you your latest news bulletin. Thank you, Samora. The chief prosecutor of the UN Tribunal has accused South Africa of failing to cooperate in the arrest of a fugitive being sought over his role in the 1994 Rwanda genocide. Serge Bromet, chief prosecutor of the UN's International Residual Mechanism for Criminal Tribunals, says since August of last year, his office has been seeking urgent cooperation from South Africa in relation to the arrest of a fugitive. It is the first time that South Africa has been accused of failing to assist in the arrest of a fugitive being sought by the court. Sudan's opposition has raised skepticism about the recently signed power-sharing deal after weeks of protests following the overthrow of long-serving leader Omar al-Bashir. Military rulers finally signed the long-awaited deal. 
The opposition, however, says they are not against the agreement in its sense, but are in disagreement with the way it has been done and the content. Gabriel Ibrahim, who is also leader of the Sudanese Revolutionary Front, says they are still open-minded to sit with leaders of the force of freedom and change to bring the agreement back to the drawing table so they can develop and improve it and make it acceptable to all Sudanese people. A man accused of helping his suicide bomber brother plan a deadly 2017 arena attack in the northern city of Manchester has appeared in a London court. British police on Wednesday arrested 22-year-old Hashem Abedi following his extradition to London from Libya after he landed at a London airport. Abedi has been charged with murder, attempted murder and conspiracy to cause an explosion likely to endanger life. His brother, Salman Abedi, blew himself up at the end of a show by U.S. singer Ariana Grande at the Manchester Arena, killing 22 people and injuring more than 500. Efforts to combat the deadly Ebola virus in the Democratic Republic of Congo have been boosted by an innovative new body bag part funded by Britain and produced by the International Federation of the Red Cross. Ebola is highly contagious after death, but burial rites entail touching and washing the corpse, exposing people to the virus. Because of suspicions brewing in the communities, many Ebola deaths are not reported for fear that the body will be removed. The BBC's James Landale. But here's a solution. This is a body bag with a difference. If I just flip that like that, this is a body bag with a window. If I just do this zip here, what you can do is you can place the body here underneath this transparent layer. And what that means is that they can pay their respects, knowing that they can even touch their loved one as they say goodbye in safety, knowing that they're not going to get infected at the same time. And lastly, the Democratic Republic of Congo joined South Africa in keeping the memories of Nelson Mandela alive. The DRC's youth say they believe Mandela brought change not only in South Africa but in the whole Africa. As the world celebrates Nelson Mandela's day this Thursday, some of the Congolese youth used the opportunity to express their wish for their president, Felix Tshisekedi, to keep Madiba as his role model. General Bamweze has more. The young people that spoke to us expressed their wish they would like the Democratic Republic of Congo's current president to keep Nelson Mandela as his role model. On that side, they are more optimistic the way Tshisekedi is behaving more than six months after he got power in this country. They wish he will do the way Madiba did to remain important not only for the DRC but also for the whole Africa. Channel Africa News, I am Onelin Sinti. Sudan's military and the alliance of protesters and opposition groups signed a political accord on Wednesday as part of a power-sharing deal aimed at leading the country uh, to democracy. The agreement was signed in Khartoum in the presence of African mediators following a night of talks to iron out some details of the agreement reached earlier this month. The deal is meant to pave the way to a political transition in Sudan after military leaders ousted former President Omar al-Bashir in April following weeks of protest against him. James Shimanula reports. 
The agreement between the military council and the leaders of opposition groups was signed in Sudan's capital Khartoum in the presence of mediators from East Africa and Horn of Africa regions. The agreement stipulates that the head of the military council, General Abdel Fattah Abdel Rahman Bruhan, will lead Sudan for 21 months. At the conclusion of that period, a coalition of opposition groups will replace Bruhan. Under the agreement, Sudan's transition period will be three years. At the expiry of three years, general election will take place in the country. Speaking shortly after the signing of the power-sharing agreement, Deputy Head of the Military Council, Mohamed Hamdani Dagalo, saluted the people of Sudan who fought hard for freedom from the bondage of the fallen leader, Omar Hassan al-Bashir. That was Deputy Head of Sudan's Military Council, Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo. The African Union mediator in Sudan, Mohamed Hassan Elibad, speaking in Arabic, said, The power-sharing agreement paves the way for a new era in Sudan. We hope that a new constitution will be in place ahead of general election in the years to come. Opposition leader Ibrahim Alamin said, and I quote, A constitutional document will be signed tomorrow Friday, end of quote. However, Alamin did not disclose details of the constitutional document. Ethiopia's representative in Sudan, Mahmoud Dardid, witnessed the signing of the power-sharing agreement. This is what Dardil said when he addressed journalists in the capital Khartoum. It is a great moment that the people of the Sudan have reached this historic moment. The gallant army of the Sudan, the transitional military council, and of course the revolutionary youth have taken to the streets to stand for democracy. And this is how one of renowned Sudan activists, Mariam Taha Omar, described the signing of the power-sharing agreement. It is a big day for Sudanese people, especially the youth. I, it is my priority this day uh, to be here and witness this historical day because it means a lot to me and to the people of Sudan. That was a renowned Sudan activist, Mariam Taha Omar. The signing of the power-sharing agreement comes six weeks after the country's rapid support forces killed more than 100 people that had gathered outside the military headquarters to push for the establishment of a government led by civilians. In another development, reliable military sources say the ruling council has received heavy military hardware from Riyadh and Abu Dhabi. In fact, it must be borne in mind that it is the financial, military and diplomatic backing from Riyadh and Abu Dhabi that is the most critical foreign support that the Khartoum military rulers required. It is also reported by reliable sources that before the killing of more than 100 people on the 3rd of June this year, there were substantial deliveries of military hardware from the United Arab Emirates across the Red Sea to Port Sudan. Emirates made armed personnel careers and driven by the rapid support forces militia are now a common sight in Khartoum. 
Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. An Ethiopian political party pushing for the creation of a breakaway region says it is prepared to go along with new plans for a referendum announced by electoral officials. Leaders of the Sadama ethnic group in southern Ethiopia had planned to unilaterally declare their own federal state today, a move analysts warned could inflame Ethiopia's political crisis and lead to bloodshed. Ethiopia is partitioned into nine semi-autonomous regions and the constitution requires the government to organize a referendum for any ethnic group that wants to form a new entity within uh, a year of them requesting it. For more on this, Channel Africa spoke to William Davison, senior researcher on Ethiopia at the International Crisis Group. He says if authorities reject calls for statehood declaration, it could lead to protesters that may trigger violence. The issue with the um, what you're calling the breakaway state, the creation of Sadama region, is that it will create some um, political and administrative challenges itself, um, particularly in terms of Hawassa City, which which is the capital of the current nation's region. Um, the Sadama people want um, become their capital. Therefore, the existing capital of the of the region breaking away from would have to move. Um, and then there's associated issues with the division um, of assets, government assets, and that type of thing. The other major issue is that the creation of a new Sadama region state out of southern nations is likely to incentivize and encourage um, other similar movements for their own regions from the other ethnic groups that currently make up southern nations region. So those are the two major uh, complicating factors, I would say. Now, at present, Ethiopia is partitioned into nine semi-autonomous regions. The constitution requires the government to organize a referendum for any ethnic group that wants to form a new entity within a year of them requesting it. Do you think there is a need for Ethiopia to amend its constitution so as not to allow any ethnic group that wants to break away to do so, but rather be part of one united Ethiopia? Well, I mean, what you're speaking to there are, is the, the fundamental schism in Ethiopian politics. You know, that's about the, the division between those who focus um, on Ethiopian unity and want a constitution um, that focuses on Ethiopian unity, perhaps still with a federal structure, but not this um, ethno-regional autonomy that we have at the moment. The other, um, the other side of the divide says that Ethiopia's history is one of trying to assimilate um, Ethiopia's diverse communities. They, they therefore say it's vital to have these kinds of provisions in the constitution, which allows um, expressions of autonomy. Perhaps, um, and we are by no means there yet, but perhaps down the road a compromise can be found in terms of toughening the conditions to achieve autonomy, but still leaving it as a possibility. But at the moment, um, this is and has been for many years and decades a divide in, in Ethiopian politics. And what we're seeing now is an expression um, of those kinds of differences. Has the call by Sidama activists for a statehood been endorsed by everyone in the region? Or are there other residents taking a cautious approach to this, William? Um, so within um, Sadama zone, as it's called, the, the administrative district, um, when I spoke to people in the rural areas, they, 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 their, their opinions seemed to support the activists' claim um, that the majority, the vast majority of Sadama people supported this bid for statehood. The issue comes in Hawassa City, which is a multi-ethnic city. Um, possibly half of the population is ethnic 
Sadama, a population of around 400,000. The rest aren't. And among that non-Sadama population, there's certainly concerns about some of the ramifications um, of, of Sadama statehood. So uh, amongst the Sadama, it seems to be very popular and the movement is, is well mobilized and, and well organized. A- activists, academics, officials, the youth, elders, um, all working pretty much together. Um, but there is some concern amongst uh, Hawass's residents. Now, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed uh, says that there will be military action if uh, the declaration goes ahead, that aging people to be patient, saying that changes in the election board need to happen before the referendum can take place. There's no doubt, William, that Abiy's leadership will be tested by this, isn't it? Well, it, it depends what occurs in the next few days. And um, I think the Prime Minister's point was that any sort of um, non-constitutional, non-constitutional, non-democratic, non-peaceful attempts to create a region state would not be tolerated by the federal government. Um, and then he raised the possibility of an intervention, as you say. Um, there are signs today that the Sadama movement um, has accepted uh, the electoral officials' date for a new referendum, even though it's past the deadline the Sadama themselves had set. Now, this situation is hanging in the balance. Um, it's all, it's, you know, it's a fast-moving situation. The electoral board only made that announcement two days ago, and the Sadama have had to, to quickly respond to that because today is their deadline day. There's some signs that um, members of the, the, youth, the more youthful activist movement are not happy with waiting for what might be another five months. There are also important signs, including from the Z- Sadama zone administrative leader, that they are going to accept the later referendum date. That would leave lots of issues to sort out before the referendum, but it would move away from the possibility or from the, the likelihood of violent confrontation now and therefore give Prime Minister Abiy and his government some more time to deal with the referendum and with these associated issues I mentioned. And that was William Davison, Senior Researcher on Ethiopia at the International Crisis Group, talking to Kumbelo Monzalele. The time is 17.18 Central African time. You are still listening to Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. Again, happy Mandela Day. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLE to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. 
The Nelson Mandela Foundation has urged all South Africans to get involved in eradicating poverty. This theme, uh, the theme for this year's Mandela Day event is the eradication of poverty. The foundation today hosted its annual Mandela Day event at the Germiston Civic Center in Ekuruleni. This year, the foundation is working with the city of Ekuruleni to support four local causes that represent shelter, education, food, uh, food and nutrition, as well as active citizenship. Session Naidu reports. As Mandela Day is celebrated for the 10th successive year, the Nelson Mandela Foundation has focused this year's theme on the eradication of poverty. Madiba would have turned 101 today. Mandela Day is designed to encourage people from all walks of life to dedicate 67 minutes of their time towards making the world a better place. Mandela once said, it is in your hands to make our world a better one for all. The foundation's CEO, Selo Hatang, says it's vital for all South Africans to play their part. Well, on this Mandela Day, we're saying take action against poverty. That each one of us must play our part in terms of ensuring that we break the, bo- the back of intergenerational poverty. And to all the listeners out there, we're saying go out of your way to help build a country of our dreams. Madiba said the world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and inequality, that it's in your hands to help build a country of your dreams. It's about dreaming. You go out and act on that dream. Mayor of the Ekuruleni Metro Municipality, Mzwandile Masina, says plans are afoot for the construction of a new university on Gauteng's East Rand. He says the project will contribute towards Mandela's call to eradicate poverty and to uplift the lives of poor residents through education. Masina says they are also in the process of building 100,000 new low-cost houses. We've got a number of uh, initiatives that uh, we, we are building on. Uh, we are currently in a program of building over 100,000 housing human settlement, uh, 59,000 service sites. We are busy currently electrifying the informal settlements. Uh, we are making sure that the sanitation environment uh, is, is much more acceptable uh, in terms of the uh, rolling one is to five and a number of other initiatives. But much more interestingly, we are in the process of um, working towards building a new university of, of science and technology as part of ensuring that we are anchoring the future of South Africa. The Gauteng Department of Human Settlement has pledged to speed up service delivery in the province. MEC Lebohang Maile says formalizing informal settlements is at the top of this agenda. We are going to continue working hard to build as many houses as possible. We will be releasing about 100,000 service tents in the next five years. We will also be uh, formalizing uh, a lot of uh, informal settlements We will speed up the process of issuing title deeds uh, to our people and will also contribute significantly towards job creation. And that report was by Sashin Naidu. In the marking of Mandela Day, the non-profit organization Grow Educare Centers is calling for South Africans to support early childhood development, or 
ECD centers in under-resourced communities. The charity provides good quality ECD with a focus on providing better teaching methods to preschool children between the ages of 0 to 5 years. This makes the gift of education an appropriate tribute to the world icon whose passion for children and education has been well documented. For more on the participation of Grow Educare Centers this Mandela Day, here's the organization's marketing manager, Helen Brandt. ECD or early childhood development is that crucial phase of your life between birth and five years of age. And many people see it as the foundation not only for making you, preparing you to be ready for school, but to be ready for life. Children learn very, very crucial skills during this time of their life. Um, Statistical skills, social skills, um, all the skills you need to grow up to succeed at school and succeed at life. So when you're investing in early childhood development, you're really investing into the future of the country, not only into that learner, but into that learner's future family as well. Now, let's talk about the call to support early childhood development centers in under-resourced communities. Uh, Educate centers in under-resourced communities often struggle with a lack of facilities. They struggle to get registered with the department because of the requirements. Many of them don't have qualified and experienced teachers. And they don't have the educational resources and tools to implement a excellent education program. So really what we are sitting with is that if you're in a community that is disadvantaged, the, the gap between high-quality education and what you're actually able to offer is quite big. And that's where Grow Educate Centers comes in. We partner with women who run their own ECD centers to help them to achieve five-star education, and not only that, but also to provide sustainable and quality employment for the people who work for them. Tell us more about the Grow Educare Centers program, which caters for preschool children between the ages zero to five. What sort of skills does it seek to impart? Essentially, our recipe includes two things. The one is business in the box, and the one is education in the box. So under Business in a Box, it's all the aspects that we offer to educate centers to help them become sustainable businesses, including mentorship, financial planning, applying for their registration. And under Education in a Box, we provide educate centers with everything that they need to provide five-star education for children. From the um, physical resources, such as the educational toys and equipment, all the way to the continuous training and professional development of the teachers and ensuring that children achieve their milestones so that they become school ready. Do you think as a country we've done enough to prioritize early childhood development? I think every NGO in our country is fighting for very, very valid causes. And as someone who has a passion for educator, I could always say, no, we haven't done enough. But what I can say is that our country is becoming more and more aware of the impact of ECD, and we understand that it takes a long time to change and address poverty. And if we start now with our youngest generation, we will only reap the benefits. So you're never too late to to change the situation. I see success every day, um, but it it takes a long time, and it does not just take equipment. It takes an investment into the people, the teachers who deliver education. Finally, tell us more about your organization's participation this Mandela Day. How are you spending your 67 minutes? We're really honoring Madiba's legacy by working as individuals and as teams to create beautiful sensory boards for our educate centers. A sensory board is a, is a board filled with beautiful um, items that you can um, touch and see and feel, and it stimulates children's fine and gross motor skills. 
A lot of companies are also fundraising internally. For every 20 rand that they raise, we're able to donate a book to our mobile and corner libraries in our in our classrooms. And we even have big donors such as my school coming on board to provide artificial grass for outdoor upgrades for our educators because outdoor play is, is crucial for development. Yeah, and listen, we really appreciate your hard work in spreading the message because uh, I still see so many people not being even aware of Madiba Day mm. and mm. not realizing that they need to take time and energy out of their own lives to think about others. It's, it's really kind of shocking some days. So I think this is very, very good work that the media is helping people to remember that mm. they need to be grateful and that they must give. And that was Helen Brunt, marketing manager for the non-profit organization Grow Educare Centers on the line, talking to Jane Rabutata. 17.28 Central African time. You are still listening to Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. Right after this, we'll be heading to our news headlines with Onel Nsinsi. This is one of the most important moments in the life of our country. I stand before you filled with deep pride and joy. Right in the ordinary, humble people of this country. You have shown such a calm, patient determination to reclaim this country as your own from the rooftops, free at last. Not all Ethiopia's ethnic Sidama people are happy with the plans to postpone the declaration of a new region and accept the offer of a referendum in five months. South Africa is accused of failing to cooperate in the arrest of a fugitive being sought over his role in the 1994 Rwanda genocide and the Democratic Republic of Congo joined South Africa in keeping the memories of Nelson Mandela alive. Channel Africa News, I am Onelinsinzi. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. I, Nelson Odessa Mandela. And I solemnly and sincerely promise that we'll always promote all that will advance the Republic and oppose all that may harm it. And maintain the Constitution and all other law of the Republic. I, Matamera Siro Ramapos, swear that I will be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. So help me God. Channel Africa. Most of the Democratic Republic of Congo's youth have kept good memories of Nelson Mandela uh, in believing he has brought change not only in South Africa but the whole of Africa. As the world celebrates Nelson Mandela Day, uh, some of the Congolese youth used the opportunity to express their wish for their president, Felix Chisikiri, to keep Madiba as his role model as well. Jean-Noel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. 
Most of the people I met here in the Democratic Republic of Congo's capital city, Kinshasa, have never visited South Africa, but when they speak about Nelson Mandela, it's really with very good memories. All of those who accepted to talk to Channel Africa are youth and they regret they missed the lotus Madiba died before they could be active and enjoy the change brought in Africa by Mandela. Speaking about the memories of Nelson Mandela, Christian Mwashi, Chonchon Kayembe and Bevan Muka said it's very difficult for the current youth to forget Madiba. I know that Mandela was a good man. Mandela was the, the good person in our Africa. He made everything. Everybody said that Mandela did everything the good in South Africa that is in our Africa. He's a good man. I'll just remember Mandela for everything we are doing in Africa. They, I can't forget that. You know, black people was crying so much in his country. I'm helping the people there because he make a democracy in the country. He help the people and then he move other one. Other one he was in the bush. I don't know what how can I say about Mandela. I have a lot of things to talk in my mouth. But I don't know what how can I say about Mandela. I'm just happy, happy and tiny now. I'm just happy and tiny now. And then I'll pray. I kept many things about Mandela in my mind. Even though I was in South Africa, but I understood and I got some friends who are living there and they said the good things about Nelson Mandela. Firstly, he made a good cost of living in that country. The most of people who were living there, they were free, eating very well. I mean, the cost of living was very well there. Apart from that, he made it free to all the people, even you from America, you from where, when you are in that country, you are free for doing everything that you want to do. But let us support that today in South Africa. There are men against men there. But that's why I said if Nelson Mandela were again there as he died, I could travel and go in that country. Now we are afraid for going to South Africa because they are killing people there. That's why we are afraid. So if Nelson Mandela were there, those things were not there. That's why I got good memory about Nelson Mandela. The young people that spoke to us expressed their wish. They would like the Democratic Republic of Congo's current president to keep Nelson Mandela as his role model. On that side, they are more optimistic the way Tisekedi is behaving more than six months after he got power in this country. They wish he will do the way Madiba did to remain important not only for the DRC but also for the whole Africa. Once more, Bevan Moka, Christian Mwashi and Chonchon Kayembe, all of them believe Tisekedi brings the Congolese together the way Mandela did for South Africans. The way that we are going for the present Democratic Republic of the Congo, Felix Tisekedi, I think he has got the same idea with Nelson Mandela, but they are fighting him more. But if he is keeping or going with his own idea, as he is thinking, I think he is going to do the same thing with Nelson Mandela. Because himself said, I'm going to call all the Congolese who are abroad. They will have to return back in their own country for, for leaving the wealthy of his own country. It was the same idea with Nelson Mandela. And Mandela arrived till the end, till he did what he promised to South Africa men. It's the same if our president he said he is going to do good things. He's gonna do even more than Nelson Mandela, there's no problem. Mandela is the mother for DRC. It's a kid he loves people. He's a good man. The president he was here before he was not uh, thinking about that. And uh, the country was not a good uh, organization to doing everything. I'm hoping President uh, Felix Tisekedi is calling the people to stay in the bush. 
in the other province then goma ruchuri just call it coming together working together and then everyone talk what he need about this country come to organize his country i'm happy to so much to find the people like uh, mr felix chilombo tisekedi how we do it i'm very happy happy so much is the nice thing is your nice organization is the one like his country what's interesting here in the democratic republic of congo as far as nelson mandela is concerned is that um, everybody including old youth and even kids all of them are able to talk about madiba's achievements jean noel bamoise for channel africa in kinshasa the indonesian government is considering closing could Modo Island, home to the famous Komodo dragon next year. The governor of the region is demanding the shutdown. He says the area is being overrun by tourists, with some involved in poaching of the dragon's prey as well as smuggling. All of this, according to local officials, is endangering their long-term survival. If the controversial plans are approved, even villagers who have lived with the dragons for generations will be forced to leave Komodo, as Rebecca Henschke reports. It's a beautiful morning here on Komodo Island and a huge cruise ship has come into the bay and off it is a stream of tourists from around the world. Incoming, 3,000 people. Abdukafur is one of the many local Komodo guides waiting for them. It's like uh, looking for the Komodo dragon like the dinosaurus, <laughs> like a uh, Komodo dragon, yeah, like the superstar. The Komodo dragons that grow up to three meters long and weigh up to 85 kilograms hiss at each other and seemingly ignore the crowd around them. The fact that their bite can be deadly to humans is for many, like Herman Ataman from Turkey, part of the attraction. Um, my husband told me there's a dragon like this. I didn't believe him. <laughs> but when we got the tickets, when I came, it is true. So beautiful. It's scary too. The number of visitors coming here has doubled in the last five years to 300,000. Today, there are so many people in the jungle that crowd management is needed. Each tour group rolls in and is given five minutes to take photos and then is told to leave as the next one comes. With increased interest and money coming in, a tussle has broken out over control of this World Heritage Site. The central government is heavily promoting the area and wants to see half a million visitors this year. The local government says it's unsustainable. Anyone can come in and out, says the governor of the region, Victor Les Kodak, and they're paying next to nothing. He's demanding a year-long closure of the island. And then after that, a limited number of people who can pay a thousand US dollars each can come in, he says. Earlier this year, police arrested five people for smuggling baby Komodo dragons. And the governor says this is a further sign that things are out of control. There will be no smuggling under my watch. It's called Komodo Island, so it will only be for the Komodos, not for humans. There will be no human rights there, only animal rights. Whoever disturbs the dragons will be fed to them, and they will die. He's also talking about genetically modifying the dragons to make them even bigger. 
And under his controversial plan, the community of around 2,000 people that lives on Komodo Island will be relocated. They speak their own language, Komodo, and have lived with the dragons for generations. The villagers here say that they let their goats roam around free rather than putting them in any form of a cage overnight and in the day because they're kind of their protection against the Komodo dragons. If they come in, they'll take the goats instead of the children. The community also says they're protected because they're related to the dragons. Elder Haji Amin, like most Indonesians, is a devout Muslim. But this is our history, he says, not a legend that Princess Nago gave birth to a man-child and a Komodo baby. So we're connected with the dragons by blood. And moving, he says, is not an option. We will be better off dead. They tried to move us in the 70s when they declared this area a national park. And the Komodos went crazy. They started jumping into the sea and swimming away. That's how close our relationship is. We will fight to stay. And that was Island Elder Haji Yamin ending that report from the BBC's uh, Rebecca Henschke on Komodo Island, Indonesia. Orphaned and rescued chimpanzees and endangered species have found refuge at a sanctuary in central Kenya. The number of chimps in the wild is decreasing due to uh, destruction of their central Africa forest habitat, hunting as well as disease. At Sweetwater Sanctuary, many of the 30 chimps have been injured from the illegal wildlife trade. The BBC's Anthony Irungu reports. Timothy Mwangi leads us towards a rusty barbed wire fence, the only barrier between us and about 10 chimpanzees groaning at the edge of a nearby river. By the time they are alive here, we get somewhere in a bad condition. People are living with them as a pets when they were young, but when they grown up, they become strong and aggressive. So they end up either being caged somewhere or chained. So you can see them traumatized, but when they are alive here, we do integration with them. You see them, they are very happy, they are doing well compared to where they are living. It's now midday and meal time is fast approaching. Behind the crowd, one chimpanzee is running out of patience. His name is Poco. He is 38 years old and is originally from Burundi. Unlike the other chimpanzees, he walks upright on two feet. Poco's story is perhaps the most tragic. Poco used to live in a tiny narrow cage whereby he could only sit and stand for nine years. So you might see Poco walking on two legs, which is not normal for a chimpanzee to walk on two, because he still remember how he was living in a tiny narrow cage. Thanks to this sanctuary, Poco and the other refugee chimpanzees can now rebuild their lives. Sweetwater's chief executive officer, Richard Vine, explains how this rescue center came to be. Chimpanzee sanctuary was set up to accommodate young chimpanzees orphaned as a result of the bushmeat trade in West and Central Africa. Often in transit, those orphan chimpanzees would be intercepted by customs officials as they were traveling. And as a result of that, a, a sanctuary movement developed across Africa to afford those young chimpanzees a safe and secure refuge for the rest of their lives. The cost of maintaining one chimpanzee here in terms of food and medication is estimated to be over $4,000 per year.
Given that Kenya is not a native for chimpanzees, there has been occasional interest from respective governments to have the chimpanzees repatriated to where they came. There is an understanding that these chimpanzees now have been established here as a colony for many years and to remove them and split apart their groups would be inhumane. So the chances of it happening are, are small. <laughs> for now, Richard and his team continue to provide care for refugee chimpanzees with the hope that their effort, increased awareness and tougher policies will bring an end to illegal trafficking of chimpanzees. <laughs> That was the BBC's Anthony Irungu in Kenya. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Samora. How are you? I'm good in you. I am very tired. It's Thursday. It's also Mandela Day. Yes. So some of us have been out there making sure that we make a difference in the communities, etc. What did you do today? Uh, I've been at work since <laughs> 4 a.m. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> work. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned something to me off-air about tariffs in Zimbabwe. Tell me a little bit about what's happening there. Well, yeah, Zesa has been given the go-ahead to increase the tariffs. I mean, this country is battling with power outages at the moment, mm. you know, and the inflation sitting on 175%. Mm. And normal people cannot survive. Of course. I was seeing uh, that, uh, you know, civil servants were actually saying that they're actually not going to go to work for Mm. uh, a certain number of days in the week because they're only getting paid for two days a week yet they're working the full Mm. five days so now if you're going to up the 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 rates for like electricity and stuff um that that's just that just doesn't make sense to me it doesn't it doesn't and i I really feel for for the zimbabwean people Mm. because you know as much as we have problems in south africa and we also feel the pinch you know, um, I mean, these poor people, I know Zimbabweans that are working here and how they have to collect, you know, and they stay in small rooms, yeah. you know, to yeah. make sure that they can buy food and buy stuff to take back with them. Mm. All right, 17.45 Central African time. Let's cross on over to the money desk. Uh, let's find out a little bit more about what's happening in Zimbabwe and other parts of Africa and how it will affect all of us in terms of the economics news. Thank you, Samora. The Zimbabwean government has given the go-ahead for the country's power utility, Zesa, to increase its tariffs. This in the wake of crippling power outages and the lack of foreign currency to import more power. This was revealed by Energy Minister Fortune Chasi on Wednesday. MPs wanted to know what would happen to those who have defaulted on paying their electricity bills. And Chasi says that the government wants to increase the number of people using prepaid power. South Africa's Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee has decided to cut the repo rate by 25 basis points to 6.5% effective from Friday. This is the first interest rate cut by the Reserve Bank since March last year. The committee has cited weak economic growth and inflation, which has stayed around the midpoint of its target range. Reserve Bank Governor Lesecha Chanyaho says the financing needs of state-owned enterprises could have a negative impact on the RAND. 
the financing needs of state-owned enterprises could place further upward pressure on the currency and long-term market interest rates for all borrowers. Food, electricity and water prices also remain important risks to the inflation outlook. The MPC unanimously decided to reduce the repurchase rate by 25 basis points to 6.5% per annum with effect from 19 July 2019. The South African Communist Party's Solima Payela has come out strongly in defense of Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Godan in his effort to clean up and fight corruption in state-owned entities. He says they'll always make sure that Godan gets the support he deserves in making sure that all state-owned entities do their job in building an efficient economy. Mapiela spoke at the launch of the Ahmed Katrada Foundation's Hands of Our Democracy campaign against state capture that coincided with Mandela Day celebrations at Constitutional Hill in Johannesburg. People like Comrade Pravin Godan, who has been singled out as a stumbling block uh, in the fight against corruption by some of the people in the state-owned enterprises, particularly uh, even some disappointingly very educated people who are actually feeling that a fight against corruption in state-owned enterprises is a fight against blackness. There's no black professional who should be proud with corruption. French carmaker Renault has announced plans to assemble two low-cost vehicles in Nigeria. This will be a joint venture with local conglomerate Koscharis. Assembly of the Logan and Duster models will begin in Lagos in October this year. Renault plans to import two other models, the entry-level crossover Quid and the Oroch pickup that is based on the Duster from Brazil. All are to be distributed by Koscharis. The French group already has a strong presence in Algeria, Egypt, Morocco and South Africa. Zimbabwe's National Handling Services has taken Tanzanian airline Fosjet to court over a 149,000 US dollar debt. This over a ground handling agreement in August 2014. According to the agreement, Fosjet was to pay for services rendered by NHS in United States currency. Invoices were to be paid on or before the seventh day of each month, and if the invoice is not paid within the prescribed time, the overdue amount will attract interest of 100 US dollars per day until the amount is paid in full. NHS's legal team says FastJet has failed to honor the invoices to their client, and the amount includes interest up to the end of March this year. The U.S. dollars trading at 358.40 Nigeria Naira, 10.43 Botswana Pula, at 101.75 Kenyan Shilling, and at 12.54 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.76 Brazilian Hail, 62.88 Russian Ruble, 68.64 Indian Rupee, 6.87 Chinese Yuan, and a 13.97 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 80 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,422, platinum at $850 per ounce, and the price of Brent crude oil is $63.90 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. 
All right, it's time for us to cross on over to the sports desk. Here's Neto Chimani with your latest sport. Thank you, Samara. A very good afternoon to you all sport fans. Starting off with soccer news. SAFA President Danny Jordan has been named CAF's third Vice President behind Chiefs Ahmad Ahmad, first Vice President Omar Constant of Congo and second Vice President Fuzi Lekja of Morocco. This was announced at the Governing Body's Executive Committee meeting in Cairo today. The election was held after a new Executive Committee was voted into power ahead of the closing ceremony and final of the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations taking place on Friday evening. The Nigeria national team captain John Obi Mikel has finally announced his retirement from international football. Mikel on his Instagram page on Thursday said it was time to end his long and illustrious service to Nigeria, which he began right from the under-17 Ikeda till he graduated to become the Super Eagles captain. After the 2003 under-17 World Cup, Mikel represented the Nigeria under-20 team at the 2005 FIFA World Youth Championship and won silver ball for the second best player at the tournament behind Lionel Messi when Nigeria finished runner-up to Argentina. He made his debut for the Nigeria senior team on the 17th of August 2005. Iran's Football Federation has agreed to allow women to attend the upcoming 2022 World Cup qualifiers of their men's national team, but that approval from the government is still needed. The ruling body FIFA on Thursday said that a letter from its president, Gianni Infantino, with a July 15 deadline for progress on the matter, has been answered positively by Iran football chief Mehdi Taj. Women in Iran have been largely banned from entering stadiums since 1981. Infantino wants the issue resolved before the 2022 qualifying starts in September. In netball news, Malawi Quincy proved too strong for the Zimbabwe Jams in one day of today's netball World Cup matches at the MNS Bank Arena in Liverpool, England. The two African sides were contesting for positions after England, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand, who have already reached the semi-finals. The match ended 59-43 in favour of Malawi. Our correspondent Gashomiati reports from Liverpool. It was an exhilarating match between the two Southern Africa regional countries. Malawi Queens, reliant on Taekwondo Lazi and Towero Vinkumbo, who was chosen best player of the match, dominated Zimbabwe from start to the end. After leading 12-8 in the first quarter, Malawi piled the pressure to win 59 against 43. Malawi are ranked number 9 in the world, 4 better than Zimbabwe on number 13. Zimbabwe team coach Lloyd Makunde alternated his team in goal shooter Joyce Takaiza and goal attack Eshulan Lovu, but Malawi remained solid. Just at the end of the match, Malawi Queens got onto the center court and demonstrated their dancing skills. They got a standing ovation from the crowd and good mention on Sky Sports Television. And finally in rugby news. 
South African domestic rugby side the Western Province have made one change to their team that beat the Blue Bulls last weekend as they head to Durban to play the Sharks in a Curry Cup fixture on Saturday. Province coach John Dobson has opted to select J.D. Schickerling, who comes into the team in a place of injured Juandro Augustus, with the Sharks having surprisingly lost to Griquas in their opening game. The Sharks will be desperate for a win in this season's shortened Curry Cup campaign. Team to play the Sharks is uh, Espio Marais, Edward van der Merwe, Ruan Nell, Dan Creole, Sabella Sinatla, Jean-Luc Duplessis, Justin Phillips, Jaco Kutsia, J.D. Schickeling, Ernst van Rijn, Chris van Sel, Sama Murat, Wilco Lowe, Skaran Tabeni, and Corne Ferri. On the bench, Chad Solomon, Quenza Bose, Carlos Sardi, David Mies, and Sikabuza Notche, Godlem Assembler, Josh Dunder, and Craig Berry. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Etio Chemani. This is Africa Digest. And that's how we wrap up the first hour of Africa Digest. Be sure to tune in from 1900 hours Central African time. But for now, from myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Leander Maume, technical producer Catherine Maleka, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. For comments on the show, do send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. And you can also WhatsApp us on plus 27763003327. You can also tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Taking us to the top of the hour is Mandela by Zahara featuring Mzwake Mbuli. You have officially 63 minutes before the next hour of Africa Digest. So be sure to go out there and do your time for Mandela Day. We'll see you again later. Alipunga, Tela Gufa, Matiba, Molum Sila, Vela Bam Pensele, Yem Yem, a global icon, internationally acclaimed. Bye.
shall sustain the momentum. Madiba, we shall preserve your legacy. Madiba, we shall emulate your values and principles. History demands that we succeed as a nation. History demands that we do not become complacent. History demands that we do not rest on our laurels and make harder. We are duty bound to rise above malice and prejudice. Let the reason and wisdom prevail. Police are some Mandela, a human treasure.